infantry, all Marines, with the highest level of respect. For we have earned our place as Marines, and we'll accept nothing less than that from you. This is my rifle. There are many like it, but this one is mine. My rifle is my best friend. It is my life. I must master it as I must master my life. Without me, my rifle is useless. Without my rifle, I am useless. What is going on all my crayon eaters out there? Welcome to the Jarhead Podcast Season 2. We are happy to uh, have Season 2 on board, and we've got a good one. So now we've got our buddy Kyle, and uh, Kyle's a, a fellow Jarhead, got some cool stories, has got an incredible career after the military. We're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Before we do, let's talk real quick about uh, the podcast. This season, we want to send a shout out. This season is brought to you by our good friends over at Hyperion Munitions. Uh, Hyperion is a veteran-owned and operated manufacturer that, that are based in Florida. They, they have a large, wide range of pistol and rifle caliber ammos, but they also distribute a large amount of firearms and accessories from other companies. Um, they have veteran ammo, uh, CEO firearms, Garrisar, Pelican cases, uh, Ariskany arms, and Operator coffee. They've got a lot of great stuff, but thank you to Hyperion Munitions for uh, sponsoring this season. Uh, go check them out over at HyperionMunitions.com. So we're going to bring in our buddy, Kyle. What's up, homie? How are you doing? Hey, Trey. How's it going? Thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely. Um, you know, we, we met, I don't know, back in maybe November, December time frame. Uh, actually, it was probably before that. It might have been, I don't know. It was it was last year. Uh, brought you on to talk about some of the stuff that's going on in Anderson Manufacturing. You guys are, if, if you're firearm fanatics out there, uh, everyone knows who Anderson is and, and Kyle uh, works for Anderson. It brought him on. We kind of hit it off real quick, and then uh, he I, I, I drug him. I didn't have to drag him. I think he was happy to go, but brought him to the Marine Party at SHOT Show and had a good time, and ever since then just become friends. And it's one of those things where there are some people that you kind of just hit it off personality-wise right away. Kyle's one of those dudes. So uh, thanks for coming on. This should be a pretty fun show, bro. All right. Let's get into it. Absolutely. So we're going to go in, and our first segment, as we always have, is the pit. This seems to be the um, the most popular part of the podcast. People talk about the pit, and it's basically a series of rapid-fire questions. Now, this segment is brought to you by Veteran Ammo, and it's an ammunition brand produced by veteran-owned and operated, um, bringing the best quality training, defense, ammunition, and hunting products uh, they leverage their military backgrounds to make sure that ammunition works every time. They offer products in centerfire, handguns, rifles, shot shell categories, and they're always adding new offerings. Go visit them over at Hyperion Munitions website and click on the Veteran Ammo tab. I've used their ammo. They sent some for me to try out when they started kind of doing this last year. It's phenomenal ammo, so uh, let's have some fun. Uh, Rapid-fire questions. We're going to the pit. Ready? Let's do it. What's your favorite MRE? Oh, uh, Chili Mac. Chili Mac. Yeah, okay. What's the uh, the worst MRE you ever had? I think everybody knows this. At least every Marine does the veggie omelet, man. 
the veggie omelet man people just don't realize the the disgusting <laughs> goo that is the veggie omelet there's nothing cool yeah. about it and there's nothing egg about it it's just it, it's it's terrible terrible uh what was your favorite weapon to shoot back in the marine corps the m250 caliber machine gun oh Hands nice down. yeah nice nice yeah mine was probably the mark 19 that thing was just badass um uh, fully automatic grenade launcher how can you go wrong with that it was badass we, we got to shoot some cool stuff so i guess there's really no wrong answer right yeah and those are the things you definitely take for granted like now i would give my you know what to shoot a mark 19 or a 50 cal at that for any that of them absolutely <laughs> hell even a 60 or a 240 bravo any of those like yeah. I mean, you just want to shoot them again um i saw the coolest thing at nram we saw each other at nram um umarex the um airsoft company famous airsoft they had a 240 bravo bravo automatic airsoft in their in their booth it's like a 1300 dollars job but it is incredible like four thousand rounds a minute or something or, or it's just no no a capacity of four thousand rounds 1300 rounds per minute i was like i'm in like that yeah cool. they talk about some squirrel hunting you know <laughs> oh yeah hey show up, to, show up to the airsoft match with that bad boy <laughs> exactly exactly oh man um texting or talking 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 all day yep uh invisibility or super strength super strength just smash okay. <laughs> i understand um first celebrity crush first celebrity crush uh what was the pink ranger i don't know i don't know the actress's name but the, uh, the, the pink power ranger you mean yes oh man uh don't get me lying but i know who you're talking about yeah I, I know i know the character name was like kimberly or something like that yeah yeah but that's my first celebrity crush right there awesome awesome <laughs> uh what was your first car first car uh 92 chevy cavalier rally sport convertible oh snap <laughs> oh snap Pimp Mobile, I'm telling you. I'm telling yes. you. Uh, if you could play out one character in a movie in real life, who would it be? This might be because I just seen it, but John Wick, man. You saw the number four? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I a couple nights after it came out. What'd you think? Uh, amazing. <laughs> That's incredible. So our good friend Clover Tack, you guys haven't seen, go check out Clover Tack over on YouTube. Clover had never seen John Wick till last week. And he watched like three consecutive nights, one, two, and three. And he hasn't seen four yet. But uh I think we got a believer now. I think he's I think he's in on the John Wick. You know they signed a three, a, a three more movie deal, right? No, I did not. I heard that they've done that. One of them is going to be a, an origin story on how he got into being John Wick. And another one's going to be like, everyone always wants to know, like, what exactly did he have to do to get out the first time? That's going to be a movie. And then I think there's one that's just going to be like the conclusion of John Wick. So uh, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. So this is our most controversial question. This is one that will drive people to go insane, um, but it's an important, it's an important question. 
Is a hot dog a sandwich? <laughs> Damn, I never thought about that. Yeah. I'm going to say no. I like it. I like <laughs> it together. To me, a sandwich has got two pieces of bread, not a Correct. bun, you know. Um People's like, oh, what about sub sandwiches? It's a sub. It's not a sandwich. It's a sub. You know, hot dogs, they have their own thing in the menu. Like, it's it's not in the sandwich. Like, hot dogs and hamburgers are their own thing. So, cooked yeah. meat on bread is a different thing than a sandwich. That's just my opinion. There are a lot of people, unfortunately, that think that hot dogs are sandwiches, and they're just weird, but okay. It is what it is. I, I could see from both sides. I could see. I mean, I, 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 I understand their argument. I don't agree with it, but I understand their argument, you know? Right. Um, all right. So that, that's always fun. We, we have a good time with the, uh, with the pit. It's a fun, fun one, but we're going to jump right into um, the meat of the podcast. And, and the first question, uh, obviously you're, you're a Marine. Um, what was your MOS? I was a 1371 combat engineer. Combat engineer, and uh, so you worked with explosives and all of that. For people out there that might be listening that don't know what a combat engineer or someone that's maybe at high school that's thinking about joining the Marine Corps um, and they now hear for the first time combat engineer, can you kind of give a little bit of background real quick on what a combat engineer is and what you guys did? All right. Um, so the main mission is mobility um, for, for Marine Corps engineers. So destroying obstacles, um, building obstacles to stop enemy uh, vehicles and equipment, troops, um, survivability. We build, build bunkers, uh, HESCO, deal a lot in HESCO. Um, we can build bridges. We can throw bridges over um, small waterways or whatnot. Um, but yeah, um, I was a division engineer, so we dealt mainly in explosives, um, and finding explosive devices. So, yeah, we did a lot of stuff with engineers, um, over, especially at third Shrig. We had third CEB was part of, of it. And they actually did a lot of work with the Navy Seabees. And I don't know if that's because, in Okinawa, there wasn't a whole lot, so they needed all the resources they can get. But did you guys work with the Seabees quite a bit? Because they're kind of like the Navy side of the engineers, are they not? They are. They are. Uh, and they deal mainly in construction and are pretty they're, – they're far more advanced than we are. As you know, Marines, we're just kind of in there, uh, set up something temporary, and then whoever follows in behind us uh, set up something a little more permanent. Um, expeditionary is the word we use for that. Um, but um, no, we'd see the Navy, uh, the CB guys, like as we're pushing out of an area, they would come in and kind of build a more fortified position or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah, I knew that they, they were pretty good at doing bridges, but like for the long haul. Uh, yeah. Putting up buildings for us. So I guess that's kind of what they're. They come in and do the long haul, not just temporary or, like you said, to uh, be expeditionary and all that, just to actually get it done. So that makes sense as to why they were they were around at least a little bit that I saw. Didn't see them a lot, but I did see them. I was like, that's interesting. Like, why, why are the CBs here, you know? Um, but it is what it is. Um, next question we're going to talk about is, 
what what motivated you to join the military and the Marine Corps specifically? Uh, so this is going to sound stereotypical, but September 11th all the way. Um, it was a uh, parent. It was like I, we went to Connor Middle School and it was the Connor Colts was our mascot. So it was like gallop in your student shoes day. So my mom was actually at school with me on September 11th. Oh, wow. And yeah, and we're sitting in the classroom, you know, a bunch of students with, you know, their parents or whatnot. It happened, man. And it's like ever since that day, I just felt this calling inside. It's like you're going to join a branch. Um, I didn't necessarily know it was going to be the Marine Corps at the time, but I I knew I, I wanted to do something about that. So was there was there history in your family of the Marine Corps or military in general? Uh, my grandfather was in the Navy. Okay. Uh, but um, nothing, nothing nothing like immediate family-wise or anything like that. It wasn't like a legacy thing. Like you kind of always knew that this was going to be part of your life and all that. This was purely pretty much motivated by the towers falling. Correct. Wow. There's a lot of people uh, that, are, that have been involved with GWAT um, that that is exactly their story. They They had plans of doing going to college or doing many many other things in their life and the towers fell and that just changed everything it's like okay uh i remember i got out in 98 and with my particular mos we had a five years where we could be recalled at any time um so the towers fell obviously three years into that and so i had to go i had to call and check in first of all my wife and daughter my daughter was at that point four years old my wife and daughter were in the air. Uh, they were flying home. They've been in Japan, back in Okinawa, seeing her family for a few weeks. So they were literally in the air uh, on September 11th, and I was supposed to go pick them up several hours later. And so that was a whole ordeal. It took me like 12 hours to find out where they were and all of that. When I got out, this is not a uh, this is not something that is a secret. But when I got out, I had a really big disdain towards the Marine Corps. Uh, I was in during the Clinton years where they were trying to downsize the footprint of the military. They were freezing promotions. They were, it was just bad. So when I got out, I, I pretty much hated the Marine Corps for a while uh, until the towers fell. Then you kind of like, Oh snap, like let's go, let's go get some. You kind of start looking back and you know what? I was proud of what we did and all that. And the other. So I had to go check in. I had to call and check in down in Texas to my, um, I don't know if it would be considered, I don't know. It was it was the office that I had to go check in with it once a year and just let them know where I am, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, what's the deal? Like, are we going? Like, let's go. Let's go. It turned out um, that there were so many people that came and enlisted, like within that first month of the towers going down, they didn't need to recall anybody because they had enough numbers of everyone coming in that they're like, all right we're okay um so yeah there's a lot of people that have that same story where september 11th affected a lot of people in a lot of ways and a lot of them was the motivation to you know hey let's go let's go let's go take care of this so i want to be part of this you know so that's awesome um how was boot camp for you when you you boot camp you know, we we everyone that I talk to, we all look back at boot camp as a funny time. It obviously was not funny or fun at all during that. 
but looking back, you're like, man, how do we not laugh all the time? Those those DIs, man, they they were hilarious. But uh, like when you went, you were an athlete in high school, so um, was boot camp was it was it as hard as you thought it was going to be, or or what? Uh it was Trey, to, <laughs> to say the least, man. Um, <laughs> Uh, like you said, I was an athlete in high school. Uh, I played football for like 13 years. Yeah. Uh, but I was always on, on the offensive line or defensive line. So I, I was a bigger fella. Um, Long pull- distance running was not something you were into. <laughs> Neither were pull-ups. Uh, pull-ups, push-ups, and 25-mile humps, huh? Yeah. And uh, during the recruiting process, I had never even heard of this thing that they talk about, the PFT. Yeah. Um, so when it's, I got, it's, to, funny how, it's funny how they keep that from you, right? Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. Uh, so when I arrived at Paris Island, South Carolina, to say I was ill prepared uh, would be an understatement. Uh, I was pretty much cutting the bare minimum. Uh, actually, yeah. my my initial strength test I failed, and I got really? put into uh, what they call the physical conditioning platoon, but. Commonly known as the pork chop platoon. Pork chop platoon. <laughs> I never yeah. knew the actual name of it, so we just call it pork chop. Yeah. Yes. Um, so we had these skivvy shirts, you know, with the racing stripes on the front. Uh, yeah, we were pretty well, pretty well known on the island. But uh, <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> that I, is I, cool. uh, I hung out there for about a month till I got my my big ass in shape, and then uh, from there I got picked up with. Uh, Third Battalion Kilo Company, which I'm grateful for. I would have been First Battalion Alpha, so I like Third Battalion a little better than everybody else. And yeah. uh, but I turned it around, man. I actually left there doing uh, 20 pull-ups pretty easily, and then yeah. uh, my runtime dropped down to like a a 20:30 at that point. Oh so, wow, that's pretty yeah. good. So, so uh, I don't know what it was when you went in. When I was in, the PFT was 20 pull-ups. Was it 80 sit-ups in two minutes? And this is for a perfect 300 PFT. Uh, and then the three-mile run in under 18 minutes. So, um, yeah, dropping down to 2030, that's pretty strong, especially for a bigger guy. Uh, that's that's pretty good. How much weight did you lose? Uh, you- around 40 pounds. See, we had a couple <laughs> guys. Yeah, for real. We had a couple guys in our platoon that, you know, we started out with, like, 82 and graduated like 36 or something like that it was crazy but we had a couple guys that lost like 30 40 pounds so and i don't know parasol but in san diego the sunday prior to graduation we had what was called parents day and they could come out and you you had a few hours to hang out with them and all of that um and there were families that walked past their their son's daughter or the son's grandsons whatever brothers and sisters, brothers and all that, they just walked right by. And they're like, hey, and they're like, oh, my God, because they had lost so much weight. Um, they didn't look like the same person. Um, it's pretty crazy, that's for sure. Uh, for me, boot camp, the physical side of it was was easy for me. Um, I came in as, as an athlete, and um, I could always run. You know, I played baseball and basketball and soccer. I played football for a few years, but being 5'7 at that time, about 130 soaking wet, and you're playing 5A uh, Texas high school football and you get hit, it hurts. So 
I was done with you. You know what? I'm good. I'll go uh, not get killed. My guy, someone's going to go play at University of Texas. I'm okay. For me, the toughest part was the mental, uh, the mental fuck, if you will. Um, because I'm a, as you know, I'm a bit of a smart ass. So my whole point was to go under the radar, try as hard as I can to keep my mouth shut and just get through this 13 weeks. And, and for the most part, I did. Um, the, you know, that was the hardest part for me was just keeping my mouth shut. Um, very difficult for me, but, uh, yeah, that was, that was fun. I look back on boot camp now and I laugh about it. I'm like, man, like those guys were hilarious. You know, um, they were trying to make you break, you know, but, uh, they also were doing their job, but no, uh, boot camp was interesting, uh, for sure. Garrisar is a Florida-based international military arms manufacturer and equipment supplier. They produce customized solutions for American and international law enforcement, governmental agents, and the military. Garrisar manufactures both forged and billet AR-15 lowers, dedicated 9mm lowers, and 308 upper and lower receivers. So go check out the Hyperion's Munitions website and click on the Garrisar Arms tab. Um, whether it was boot camp or when you got to the fleet or combat training or school or whatever, did you ever have that oh shit moment that like you realized, okay, this is real and I just can't go home anymore. Like I'm in. Did you have that oh shit moment? I did. Um, it, it was after shortly after I hit the fleet. Um, yeah. It's when we when we landed in Fallujah, Iraq, and I was in that uh, shellback seven ton, driving to Camp Fallujah. Uh, we landed at TQ, and uh, that's when it sunk in because you could see through the cracks, and there's yeah. like t tanks kind of sitting on the horizon. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> you're like, yeah, this is this is it. This is fucking Iraq. <laughs> yep, and uh, we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> no, these aren't sim rounds coming down range anymore. Either, no. You know, it's, it's, so it's um, interesting. Um, so like combat training, um, after boot camp, you, you get like a week, 10 days off, whatever, and then you go to combat training, then you go to schooling. Um, when I was in combat training was like five or six weeks, um, and then you went to school, and that was anywhere, you know, like three months or whatever. Um, when you guys were in, you guys kind of knew that there's a good chance y'all were going down range. So was combat training, do they abbreviate it like you know, half shorten it or anything, or was it still like six weeks or so? I think uh, it's been quite some time, but, um, I, I think it was around five or six weeks. If okay, I, was okay. I didn't know if they like shortened it to get you to school quicker and then get you overseas or not. I didn't know how that worked. Um, during that, so it sounds like they and your school was how long for CEB uh, for combat engineer? Uh, three months. Yep, yep. That's so. There's a lot of them are about that. There most of them are about that. Um, so it's interesting. I was just wondering because you know that's one of those things where you you never know if they shorten things because you hear the stories in Vietnam like they even oh, yeah. it seems like a month like hey we're just gonna give you the basics and then you're gone. So I didn't know how that worked uh, when they were sending you over uh, the Middle East. Um, we're all besides Fallujah uh, for stuff that you can talk about. Uh, we're all some of the places that you got to visit and 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 embark upon. Uh, so yeah, I did my my only deployment to Iraq was Fallujah. 
Okay. And then um, I did three deployments following that to Afghanistan, all in the Helmand province right there, right okay. down south. Yep. What was, uh, I, I hate to say this, the favorite, because um, none of it is good. It all sucks. But um, I'll just put it this way. What was the worst place that you, you got deployed to? Um, I have to say the worst would be probably hands down. And I wasn't like deployed there, like yeah. stayed there, but it was a place where we would patrol to and back, um, would be Sangin Valley. Okay. Uh, yeah. That place was pretty sketch down there to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, um, people don't understand that the, the native army, and it's not just Taliban and all that. It's just, it's the natives. They have their own little thing. Um, man, those guys are some fierce fighters. People don't realize. And if you're in a valley and they're up in the hills and they have the high point on you, uh, I've, I've heard horror stories. Uh, have you ever seen the movie uh, Outpost? The Outpost? I have not. Oh, bro, you need to go check it out. It's called The Outpost. It's about a Marine base um, in the sticks of Afghanistan that, like, no one lives because it's in the valley and it's surrounding everyone. They just they just destroy it daily. Uh, great movie. Um, so you might want to go check that one out. That would be a fun one. But yeah, uh, it's no joke over there, from what I understand. I didn't get I didn't get to go. Uh, I was out by then. But uh, yeah, there were some some interesting places. Um, you you got out as what a sergeant? Am I am I right about that? That's correct. Okay, so of all the of all the the ranks that you got, all the way to E five, what was your favorite rank to get promoted to? Man, I I, I have to stick with that. Probably sergeant. Um, just just being able to be a leader of Marines, um, to take care of my Marines, and um, really, you know, take them to combat. You know, that's the, that's the kind of stuff you dream of when you when you join a. a especially the Marine Corps yeah. and to be, to have the opportunity to lead a squad and uh, kind of have those men rely on me and me rely on them as well. Uh, it was a beautiful thing, man. And you know, that my last deployment is probably going to stick, always stick out as my favorite just because I was, I had the opportunity to be in that position, to be a squad leader, be a Sergeant of Marines uh, in a combat zone. It, it was incredible. Yeah, um, being a leader of Marines, especially, um, is something that um, not many get to do in, the, in in this world, and it is a is a it's a special thing. Being an NCO in general, um, and having the responsibility, either a team or a squad or whatever, um, having the responsibility of others is is. You don't take that lightly, and, and it's right. a lot of people don't understand that. That uh, you know, especially in the Marine Corps, we we we're proud to to look to our left and look to our right and say, "Look, I'm giving you my life. You're giving me your life. Let's go do this." And uh, it's a, it's a special it's a special bond that I'm sure you're still in touch with a lot of your guys. You know, many years later, and you'll never lose that bond. I've been out for 25 years now, and we still a bunch of us are in a group chat. And we still talk all the time. And it's something that, you know, we might not see each other for 10 years. But when we do, it's like it was yesterday and it was no big deal. It's, it's a cool thing. People don't understand the bond, especially in the Marine Corps. We're such a small, a small fighting force that uh, people don't understand that. Um, 
Do you have a, um, we're going to talk a little story time, okay? A little story okay. time. Is there a, a really awesome or funny uh, story there, that you can tell? Um, a, lot of the, a lot of what happens in the Marine Corps uh, never gets told because uh, that's just part of what we do. We, we, don't, we don't tell a lot of stories, but some of them are pretty good that we can tell and all that. Uh, is there anything out there that sticks in your mind of a great, either a, just a badass story or a funny story that sticks out that you'll always remember? I, I've got a ton of funny stories. Uh, one that sticks out to me is uh, it, it involves my boy Higuchi. Uh, the thing about Higuchi is we both came from Kentucky. Uh, I was platoon 3004 at Paris Island, but like I said, I was on hold. So, like, we didn't leave together. I just wound up falling into his. Gotcha. So I was 3004. He was upper deck. He was in 3005. And we went to. Uh, marine combat training together we went to engineer school together and wound up hitting the fleet second combat engineer battalion together uh, we're doing our work up we we just got in the second combat engineer battalion and um we're like immediately go to the sif get your stuff you guys are going to itx and then you're off to iraq you're like, like oh, oh crap this is real <laughs> yeah so needless to say it was all rushed and you know we're we're boots so we're doing all the work we're loading the planes offloading the planes uh getting fucked with the entire time the but, um, and loving and hating every minute of it yeah it's part of it you know and for anybody that hasn't been to itx it's it's out in the desert in california i, I don't know what desert that is. what is it the uh well, it was at 29 Palms back in the day, but I don't know if it's still it at 29 is, Palms or not. It is at 29 Palms. Yeah, the stumps. We call it the stumps. Yeah, yeah. the stumps. Uh, but I can't remember what that desert's called right there. But anyway, Mojave? Is it the Mojave? It's the Mojave, yep. Yeah, the Mojave. Mojave yeah. Uh, it's blazing hot out there. Oh, it sucks. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so we're... We're on a working party like we are every morning <laughs> as one of the four PFCs in the platoon there. And uh, we're cleaning out the uh, the head. And I'm over there. I'm cleaning out the sinks. And Gucci's over in the urinal. And I look back. And as I look back to him, something smacks against my face and just kind of like runs down. And I look down at the ground to see what it was. It was a urinal patty. From those trough urinals. It could have been worse. Not much, but it could have been a lot worse. Oh, my God. Uh, <sighs> yeah. Needless to say, we threw hands while I was scrapping. Uh, uh, but, you know, we were best friends after that. But uh, that's probably one of the funniest ones I have. And it, just being a boot is so funny in itself. Like, you just get treated like you get treated so bad, but it's all out of love. It's like picking on your little brother, man. Like, it is, and, and <laughs> the thing that I didn't understand was when I got my first, my duty station was over in Okinawa with uh, Third Trig, and I get there, and they're basically this is like late October, and oh by the way, we're leaving January to go somewhere, and it's like a you know a three or four month workup. I'm two months into it late already. I'm like, oh snap, okay. So, of course, I get there, and what do they do? They make me a point man. 
I thought it was like I I was I was like that's awesome like that's an honor right well they did that not because I was ever going to be a point in real life in, in the real thing probably but they did it because the point man is just gets the shit beat out of them they're the first ones through the door when you're doing cqb you're the first one that gets lit up every time you're the one that trips the, the wires for freaking bombs or you get the ieds exploded on you and it just they tortured me uh, i didn't say a word because i didn't know any better i was like okay you know i'm learning i'm learning i'm learning and um they would just they, they would laugh they just mess with me and all that but after a while, you learn you you earn their respect. You know the NCOs and even the lance corporals that you know at that time. I I didn't realize you didn't have to look up necessarily to a lance corporal as a PFC, but you know uh, it, it, I did because they had been there at least a little bit longer. And um, you know my team leader was a corporal, and uh, obviously the squad leader was a sergeant. But our team leader, you know, he was like, just hang in there, just keep your mouth shut. And just do it no matter what we ask you to do just do it and i was like roger that you know and after about a month or so like yeah that you kind of earn their respect and they start kind of treating you like a, an actual person and uh at that point you know all of that crap that you go through that first few months is is absolutely worth it and then the, here comes the next pfc that's straight out of school and you're like yes yes now you're the bit you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was great. But you know, you know, and, and, and a lot of people understand. Like, it's high stress. They want us stressed out. They want us intense. Uh, so yeah, there are a lot of fights with amongst ourselves. Uh, I remember when I got back to Pendleton from being overseas. Um, first, first couple of days I was there at the barracks. Uh, who ended up? He, he ended up being like my best friend. He died several years ago, but. Um, we almost got into a fight the first night I was there. I guess I I was I was a, a Lance Corporal. He, he didn't he he thought that I had just gotten there and was just coming straight from school. Thought he could fuck me. Didn't realize I'd been overseas for over a year, seen some been through some hairy shit, uh, did a lot of stuff, and he didn't understand that. And so he was trying. I was like, "Look, bitch, we ain't gonna play these games." <laughs> and uh, and we went. We, we threw hands a little bit and uh, after that once again we got drunk together and we're best friends until he died a few years back and um that's just part of who we are they, they want us that way i really I, th I think they want us on edge at all times you know yeah uh, i agree they want they want you uh nice and angry when you come face to face with your uh, nation's enemy yeah uh so you were stationed when, when not overseas you were stationed i guess at lejeune correct that's correct. Yeah. Second Marine Division. Say again. Second Marine Division. Were you with Division? You said right. Yep. Second Mardiv. Yeah. I was. I was with Third in Okinawa, and then First, obviously at Pendleton and all of that. Um, I was. We went to school on the East Coast, um, and then I actually had to go down to Lejeune for two weeks for a, a quick school. Um, did you enjoy? I, I did. I did. Um, I mean, back then I would have probably told you I hated it, but yeah. I love to fish and uh, my life I, I've been doing freshwater fishing. Uh, so getting out there on the saltwater and uh, just throwing a line in and catching some of the weirdest fish I've ever seen in my life. 
and playing on the beach and stuff like that. It, it was awesome, man. Yeah. I loved it. I was there for like, I don't know, like 16 days or something, and I freaking hated it. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I was in Okinawa, when I got my orders, they were actually to second shrig. Um, and I talked to my uh, OIC, and I was like, sir, like, I'm from Dallas, and I went to boot camp in, in, in San Diego. Like, like Camp Pendleton is more up my alley. And I was like, I was in, in Lejeune for two weeks, and it sucked. And I was like, is there any way we can get my orders changed? And he, about a week later, he came back and said, yeah, we got you at camp. I was like, rock on. The only thing that I really remember about being at Lejeune was they took us out to some bar like maybe is it, is it Jacksonville? Is it, is it, is it yeah. so some country bar, which is fine. I love country music, but I got ripped, like absolutely ripped. And the whole thing is they had rented this charter uh, for deep sea fishing the next day. And we had to be at the dock at like six in the morning. I had never been deep sea. I'm from Dallas, bro. Like there ain't no ocean around there. Uh, I like the fish, but my God, never. And so I show up, and there's about three or four of us that are just lit, like lit, <laughs> not knowing that that is not exactly the way to be when you're getting ready to get on a deep sea fishing uh, boat and go fishing a couple miles off the coast. Needless to say, both of my worst experiences in the world were on um, the USS Bella Wood, coming back from somewhere back to Okinawa. And was never sicker in my life than that. And the Navy guys loved it that we were all sick. And uh, the second worst I've ever been is on that deep sea fishing boat off the coast of uh, Camp Lejeune, or that I don't know. I guess is what is it? Cherry Point? Is that where it is? I'm not, I'm not sure. What, I'm not. No, it's not Cherry Point. What is? What's the city that Lejeune's at? Is that Jack Jacksonville? Jacksonville is the city. Okay. Yeah. Um, man, that was the worst experience. Uh, I, I couldn't be, we were out there all day and I, I don't think I ever touched a, a rod and reel. I just threw up the entire day. Uh, it was terrible. So that's my experience of Jacksonville, uh, and Lejeune that I, 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 maybe that's why I didn't want to go back. I don't know. I don't know. Um, do you guys have fun? Do you guys, was there, a, uh, a certain did y'all go like up and down the coast of Virginia or down to South Carolina? I mean, did y'all travel a lot on weekends around that area? Oh yeah, down to Wilmington, the Outer Banks, uh, Surf City, Topsail Islands around there. Yeah, um, and then of course, like every once in a while, you get a wild hair and like you and your boy just ride to his house wherever he lives for the weekend, and you're back Sunday night. You know, a uh, couple yeah. of those, but. We did that one Thanksgiving, and my buddy lived up in, in Oregon. And it was so we got out like we had a 96 that weekend. And they actually let us go around lunchtime on Wednesday. And about 10 of us went, and we got in our about four or five vehicles, and we drove straight from San Diego to Oregon. And that was an interesting trip. We stayed there for a couple of days and then drove back by Sunday night. We were back and why we did that. I don't know. Uh, his parents wanted us to come up, you know, for Thanksgiving and have a home cooked thing. We're like, hell yeah, let's go. Uh, man, that was a bad decision because driving all the way from San Diego to 
Oregon was not fun. Um, not fun at all. But, yeah, those are fun times. Those are fun times. Um, you've already said a funny story and all of that. What's stuff that you can talk about or are willing to talk about? Uh, what's the craziest thing that you ever were involved in? Um, for me, it I'd have to say it was um, the invasion of Marja. Okay. Um, that, to me, I don't know. It was... This is gonna sound weird, but it was like beautiful and like scenic. You yeah. can see that you could see the A ten. Like I was in the lead gun. You could see the A ten swooping down doing gun runs. You could see that was uh, awesome in itself. It was. You could see uh the fifty threes coming in and dropping guys in and then like as they're taking off, RPGs are firing up. Like I, I know it's not like a, a, a situation that should be beautiful, but to me, it was just like something you would see in a movie. And I'm just kind of like, we're sitting up on this crest about yeah. to go in. They had just laid down a bridge and, you know, you're just watching this happen and in real time. And it's just, I don't know, all the way insane. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that'd probably be like the, uh, a moment that really stuck out for me. Um, I can think of right off the top of my head. Yeah. Have you seen uh, being a combat engineer and working with explosives? Have you seen the movie The Hurt Locker? <laughs> yes, I have. So, from your experiences, um, what are your thoughts of The Hurt Locker? I thought it was a great movie, but I don't have the the background that you have, so you probably look at that movie a little differently than most. What do you think of that movie? Uh, like you said. Very entertaining, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, great storyline, but yeah, anything that you see dealing with how to handle IEDs, explosives, or any of that stuff is is all Hollywood for that movie, for sure. Yeah, obviously working with IEDs, and, and like you said, not only were you guys working with explosives, but you were also trying to um, find and identify IEDs or other explosives as well. Um, I can't even imagine the mindset of going looking for mines or IEDs or whatever. Um, I guess with all the training and all that, it becomes second nature. But like when you were first getting in, whether it was in school or your first deployment or whatever, like was there that time like, what the hell am I doing? Like, why did I, you know, I mean, was it was it scary or were you just focused on your job? Um. For me, when it really sunk in was like my first time being like lead sweeper up front with the, the mm -hmm. mine detector. Um, at first, you're, you're sitting there and you're like making sure your batteries are good and all that. And you're really just sitting there thinking to yourself like, what am I What am I doing here? What am I about to do? But then, and this says a lot about my leadership coming up and um, some of the guys I served with. Then it sinks in like, you are going to be one of the main components in getting this infantry squad from A to B safely. Yeah. Um, and you're going to be the first one out there. So you're always the first one to draw contact and all that junk. Um, and really, I guess, and this might just be ingrained in me, but I think in all men is at that point, you just become selfless and you're really proud to do it. it, it it's an, it's an honor to do something like that. Absolutely. The, um, 
And I think that that's kind of when, you know, when you make that mental switch of before it was a job, you know, then sometimes somewhere down the line, you make that switch to where it's no longer a job. It's, it's who we are. It's, it's what we do. Um, they start seeing the big picture. It's not just about you doing your job. What you do affects 3,000 other people behind you. And that's that's an interesting way of, of, of seeing everything. You're like, wow, okay. Like you said, you're the first ones there. And, and if you don't do your job, those guys can't get where they need to go. And there's no telling what could happen if they don't get there. You know, So that's a big responsibility. With years of expertise and experience, Ariskany Arms is proud to be regarded as a firearms manufacturing leader. Every decision is inspired by the main mission, which is to prove the highest standard of products and services to both retailers and customers. Ariskany Arms took their expertise and introduced a line of full-size American-made series 1911, chambered in 45 ACP, 10mm, and 9mm. So go check out the Hyperion Munitions website and click on the Ariskany Arms tab. What I want to talk a little bit now is there's a, there's a lot of guys and, and gals, especially this time of, you know, you know we're talking 2023, and 9-11 happens in 2001, so the people that joined the military within that first couple, three years, which there was a ton of them that joined, um, a lot of them, are coming up on retirement or have already retired or getting ready to the next year or so. And they're getting ready to do the transition back into civilian life. Uh, before we talk about um, tr the transition to help others, uh, I want to kind of ask you when you got out, um, how was your transition? Was it smooth or was it scary or how would your personal experience with transition back into the civilian world go? Uh, I'd Admittedly, I'd say my transition was pretty rough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There towards the end, uh, see, after my fourth tour, I went on the recruiting duty. And mm -hmm. on recruiting duty, it's go, 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 go. I did that for three years. Had I'm sure recruiting duty sucks. Like, absolutely just sucks. It, it does. It yeah. does. It's rewarding in a way because you get to see these little fucktards become Marines. But right, <laughs> but it's nonstop, and you're on call almost twenty four seven. You know, you are uh, usually working seven days a week. No lie. Um, yeah. So that fast tempo just kind of kept my mind off of everything I just experienced on these deployments, which probably um, could have been a good thing to a certain extent. It really was. It, it was because like I'm sitting there, like, hey, I'm fine, like. That stuff didn't bother me. I'm, I'm all right. I'm just moving on. Uh, but it's when I came off of my tour of recruiting duty and got back to the Fleet Marine Force where things had kind of slowed down um, with OEF and OIF. Uh, it wasn't the op tempo, just wasn't where it was when I had left. Um, so things had slowed down and I had more time to uh, sit and dwell on things and uh, get involved in drinking and stuff like that. And you know, come to find out, you know, I'm like, I do have some problems and went and got help. And I actually spent my last year and a half, maybe even two years, um, at Wounded Warrior Battalion East. Um, really? Yeah. So uh, when I went and get checked out, they found out, you know, I had like traumatic brain injury 
some yeah, of the things was, no joke you know or these were obviously um not detected early on and all that did it have a, a, a serious effect because it wasn't identified or treated at the time it did uh like i said it's kind of just when things slowed down my body started telling me like something's going on i would yeah. start getting migraines and it'd be it slowly become progressively just more intense and more frequent and um you know finally i was just like something's gonna have to give here and went and seen the doc and that's kind of how I wound up at Wounded Warrior Battalion East was that. And then that unraveled, you know, just dealing with some of the stuff that going through that we went through on deployments and, and things like that. And it just kind of sucks that we didn't capture it, you know, maybe yeah. right after deployment because I would have had more time to deal with it. Uh, but I was getting ready to transition at that point. So um, kind of feel like I, I tried to rush things because at that point I was just like, ready to get on i kind of like that. you I, I felt like the marine corps had betrayed me at that point uh i don't feel that way anymore but no, something no. you know so um leaving the marine corps was pretty rough uh, they did medically retire me so um, i did have that going for me and it's very great grateful that i did because like i said i never stopped the drinking um yeah. I carried that stuff right back home with me, right back to Kentucky. And, um, yeah, it, it was rough. I was worried. I got a job at Lowe's, you know, making yeah. $12 an hour loading up mulch. Yeah. Uh, but, um, and, I, and uh, also you probably didn't want much more than that out of your life at that point. Did you? No, no, just, you know, um, it is. Spent, yeah. And spent a lot of time just, sitting around dwelling on the past i understand um, and then one day out of the blue i hadn't talked to this guy in like four or five years uh my buddy alex calls me and starts talking to me asking what's going on and i, I feel comfortable with him so i'm telling him everything yeah and he he put me in touch with a uh a traveling nurse from semper Fi fund nice and man i tell you this lady was a blessing she <laughs> she literally just told me everything I have to do just to get my life pointed in the right direction. It was um, probably a lot of stuff that you didn't want to hear at the time. I'm sure. I, it really was. It was, uh, the part of it was putting the bottle down. Um, but the biggest part was just enrolling in school and getting the next chapter of my life started. Finding a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Stop reading the, stop reading the chapters you've already wrote. It's time to, to start keep writing your book. So I like that. I love yeah. that actually. And uh, that's what I did, man. Uh, I'd always been passionate about writing. So mm -hmm. I wound up going to Northern Kentucky University for journalism. Mm -hmm. I I knew it wasn't gonna be like a, a, a this is gonna make you rich type career. I, I wasn't in it for that at the time. Uh, Donald Trump had just got elected and you were kind of seeing where the media stands in a huge split just begin. And I just thought that was so messed up because to me, journalism shouldn't be about what political side you're on. It should just be facts and that's it. Um, so I really went in with the intention of changing the world of journalism. Um, love school. It was great. Uh, once I did get earn my degree, 
uh, I was, uh, I don't know. I somehow wound up in Anderson Manufacturing and, uh, well, not somehow. Obviously, we can get into that too. But uh, yeah, yeah. Just back to before I got off on my tangent there. Um, there Nurse Patty. Yeah, Nurse Patty. There's a, there's a lot of people fun. out there that have gone through or are going through um, that that darkness and that fight um, that don't know that there's people out there that have experienced and, and, and been through that that. Maybe this might help them saying, man, if he can do it, maybe I can too. And uh, utilizing some of the resources that are out there for our guys and and say, look, you're not by yourself. You know, not only do you have us as a brotherhood, but there's actually organizations out there that are there to help you get through the darkness and and find that light again, you know, and and uh, that this is a beautiful story. I appreciate you sharing it. Uh, I'm glad everything's good. I'm, I'm proud of you for putting the bottle down. That is something that a lot of people don't ever get a chance to do before it's too late. And, um, yeah, I'm really, really proud of you for that, for sure. Thanks, brother. And, you know, I can't – I don't like blaming things for, you know, events or whatever, but I know for a fact alcoholism that did attribute to some of my friends, you know, who became a part of the 22 after we, we got out of the Marine Corps. Um, so like you said, man, I, I'm proud of myself for being able to do that and really proud of anybody who can. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You talked about, um, going to work at Anderson and that was part of the big transition, going to school, getting your degree, uh, and, and, and going to work for Anderson manufacturing. Like if you said, for the people that are in the that are firearm people, they know who Anderson is. If you're watching this and don't, you know, into the firearm community or industry, uh, Anderson is one of the leading uh, producers of of rifles and handguns and all of that uh, AR-15 style, that bolt action. Um, you know they're they're big into that game. They're they're a big part of that game. Um, so when you got out, let me ask you this: Were because uh, I was not. I had never really shot before I went to the Marine Corps. Growing up in Dallas, I mean, I shot a couple twenty twos at my buddies' ranches here and there, but I learned how to shoot in the Marine Corps, uh, did you have a firearm background growing up with hunting or just in general shooting firearms growing up before the Marine Corps? No. So I grew up in a single mother household. So, mm. you know, anytime I get to see like my grandpa, I get to like at least look at his hunting rifles and stuff like that. Right. But I never, never had the opportunity to shoot, which According to the drill instructors, that's a good thing. You don't have that happen. Too. They actually were happy um, that I didn't know because they said the guys that grew up hunting or had a lot of experience came in, I guess, cocky or whatever, had their own way of doing things, which isn't the Marine Corps way. And I accidentally, you know, actually end up shooting better than a lot of those guys with zero experience because they were able to teach us how they wanted us to shoot, especially with M16 is not the same as your Remington hunting rifle, you know? So, uh, I, I, I didn't understand that at the time, you know? Yeah. So not having a lot of firearm experience, obviously getting plenty of firearm experience in the Marine Corps, um, transitioning years later after school and all of that, Anderson, um, was the firearm, like when you got out of the, the military, did you have a passion for firearms or, or was 
Anderson at the time just a job. It it, it, it wasn't there because it's a firearm company. It was just a, a, a job or what? I, I actually wanted nothing to do with firearms when I first got out. I had taken this vow where I was like, and know, honestly, the, at the point you where you were in your life, that probably was a good thing. Honestly, you're right. You're right. Let's be honest. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I didn't want anything to do with them. I was done with them, dealt with them enough. But um, I started going to school, and I quit Lowe's at this point, and now I'm at Steak and Shake on campus. All right. Just nice. Imagine me with the little paper hat on. I, I, I am, and, and I'm loving that mental picture, by the way. That was me uh, for a few months there, and then COVID-19 hit. All right? Uh, so COVID hit, steak and shakes out. They're like, you're laid off, buddy. You know, we'll pick you up whenever this stuff's over or whatever. Okay. Right. Um, Anderson Manufacturing was always a place that I'd heard of growing up in Hebron, Kentucky. Um, you're so, actually from Hebron then. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it was part of the community, you know, it was, yeah, it definitely like a statue of the community for real. Uh, but I sat around the house for like three weeks at this point and I'm like, all right, I'm getting back into like some of my old ways here. Like yeah. gotta find a new occupation. School's not enough to keep me busy enough. So I literally, I wrote an email out to Anderson just explaining to him, like, the situation I was in. And this is why I have so much respect for this company. Yeah. The the owner answered that email and set me up with an interview the next day. Wow. Yeah. Brought me in, um, talked to me, took me on a tour, hired me right there on the spot. Um, mm. And at that point, man, I was just I, I was just taken away because you know especially an owner of like such a big company like that yeah uh, definitely didn't see that coming uh, but they yeah. they they have a real soft spot for veterans there and uh, man they they have taken care of me I'll, I'll tell you that um, yeah that's an amazing story you know I, I you know Chris Jeremy and all everyone that I've met at Anderson are just like, amazing amazing people. Um, so it, it, it doesn't surprise me that when you owner gets that involved in a hiring process of a kid who just writes an email, uh, that kind of shows you like a family oriented family business that Anderson is, it's, it, it is a big, large, you know, corporation, but even at the, at its finest points, the owner has a heartstrings and, and can hire a kid off the streets like that uh, over an e email that's that's fascinating that's 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 an incredible story um a lot of people don't get that opportunity when they transition uh they are kind of stuck and they don't know what to do they don't understand what their value is they don't understand that the training and uh everything that is going along into not just being a marine but in the military in general how that sets you up and prepares you for civilian life. We talked about this all the time, but you know the schooling that we get, you can't buy that training in the civilian world. You know, there's no telling how many millions of dollars we're all worth as far as training and all of that after our our career is over. Um, schooling, you can't just go to Devry and get the same schooling for what you did or what I did or anything like that. Uh, you can't do that. But a lot of people don't understand their value and, and their worth to the workforce. Um, 
if you could give one piece of advice for someone who's coming off a four-year contract or been in for 20-plus years that's getting ready to make that move back into civilian world that may not understand what they bring to the table, what's the biggest piece of advice that you can give to someone who's getting ready to enter that transitional period? Not to try to sound, seem too sinister here, but just fight your ass off every day. Every day, doing something, no matter what it is, is better than doing nothing. Mm. Uh, like I said, just just fight. Fight. Reach for what you want. And if you're not getting it, keep fighting until you do. Absolutely. Uh, that's probably the best advice I could I could give right now. I love that. that. And I think that 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 may not resonate with someone who might be listening to this podcast that never served uh, like a fight. You know I mean? Like try hard. Uh, yeah. But someone that served, they understand what fight means. Um, it's look, I'm going to sacrifice everything to get this mission accomplished or this goal or whatever. Um, that's something that there are traits. And this is what I want to bring up to everyone out there that, that might be getting ready to transition or maybe it's someone who's been in for 12 years and trying to decide, do I want to go that extra eight to get to 20 or is this enough or whatever you're trying to make that decision, but you're scared of what could be on the other side in a civilian world. Remember a couple things. One, there are traits that you are in, that are ingrained in you, especially as a Marine. I can't speak for other branches. They're all great. We, we, we give shit to everyone, but, if you took the oath and you wore that flag, you're good. Um, in my book, you're good. Now we're going to give shit about the Air Force because it's the Air Force. It is what it is. Uh, I think we're, I think we're all jealous of the Air Force. We all look back and say, you know what? If I could do this again, let's go live the country club life in the Air Force. You know, uh, but there are traits that that were taught: time management, the respect for time, working your ass off working in a, a team environment, understanding that every person has their role and without one person, no one gets their job done. Leadership. Um, leadership could be the most important trait that you have that you may not think that you have. You have been through things. You have seen things. You have heard things. There should be nothing that you hear or see in the civilian world that surprises you or upsets you. So if you keep the mentality of, I've seen it all, I've done it all, I've heard it all, you're going to be a leader of not just, you know, Marines, but you're going to be a leader of men and women, people out in the civilian world. Understand the value that you bring to the table. And when you're going for an interview, don't be cocky, don't be obnoxious, but be confident. You bring something the table that no one else brings that the veteran workforce is strong it's reliable you know they're going to show up every day you know that they're going to do a good job and they're willing to do anything to accomplish that mission uh, i hear all the time i don't know if you've heard this or not you know um i don't have a college degree so i'm, I'm kind of screwed um my thoughts on that i'll, I'll get your thoughts here in a second on this is is for those that are getting out and can't or don't have time, whatever the reason, don't, don't go to college, you're not screwed. Um, for a lot of employers, um, that college degree is 
piece of paper that basically proves that you can spend four or five years at school and get through it and graduate. You've accomplished the mission. What is your DD-214? That's your diploma. That's your, I've been through four, five, eight, 12, 20 years of this shit and got through it and I can complete a task and I can uh, accomplish my goals. So your DD-214 is your diploma. Your fraternity is the Marine Corps or the Army or the Air Force, or the Navy or the Coast Guard, whatever. That's your fraternity. I don't care if you didn't go Sigma Chi. You've got your fraternity. Think of it in those terms. Um, as far as traits and abilities and all of that, um, what are some of the things that you see people that are coming to Anderson or maybe some of your buddies might have had issues not realizing what they brought to the table? What are some of the traits that people need to understand in your mind that they bring to the workforce that they may not realize? Uh, one that you already mentioned is showing up on time and being reliable. Uh, oh, man. I mean, showing up's half the battle. That's that's what they say. And, right. and it's so true just to be that dependable person. Um, working as a team, that's, that's a big one that you see um, a lot of workplaces will have problems with. Um, it's something I'd like to think hopefully I bring to Anderson. Uh, just getting that team environment, kind of letting everybody know, you know, how important their role is and, you know, holding up your end of the stick as well uh, when, when that go, comes around. But, yeah. and then, and like you said, just being that leader, um, somebody that people can look up to, you know, maybe when, when times ain't very easy, they can still look well, up to you. If nothing else, depend on when times aren't easy. Yeah. They look at you and, you know, some of the things that you've been through, you're probably going to have a cool, calm, collected demeanor towards this um, that, you know, maybe somebody else from where they came from, this is like a travesty. So uh, just kind of being that anchor, you know, that's, that's, that's the way I see veterans, at least at Anderson, is kind of that anchor. Um, they yeah. know that when, when times get tough, Anderson knows that they can really throw it on the back backs of their veterans and we're gonna we're gonna come through uh, just because of what what we've been through and all having that common experience together so looking back on your time in the military uh to now um glad you joined the marine corps regret joining the marine corps like what are your feelings of of the military what i'm saying maybe the question i want to ask you is as i think you're going to say you're proud of what you did and all that you've grown to appreciate that uh maybe the question better question is is if there was a 17 year old um, high school student that came up to you and said kyle i'm really not made this in the marine corps but I, i'm really thinking about joining the military when i get out of high school um what do you think would you say go for it or, or is that something you'd say steer away from now or what I'd always encourage it. Um, you know, I'll definitely ask some of the depth questions like, you know, what are you looking to do? Um, have you thought about how this is going to help you in the future? Things like that. Um, but it's kind of like, like we were just talking about. It's just the Marine Corps experience is a little different from other branches, but some of the things that are instilled in you uh, from the get-go, and that's just across the board, 
it, it pays itself off in the long run. Whether you do four years or 20, it, it, right. it, it definitely sets you up for success. So I, I would never steer anybody away from the military. Steering towards the Air Force, maybe, if they're not physically or mentally ready. There are people that probably just can't handle uh, the high stress of, of a fast-moving unit like the Marine Corps and all that. They're just, you know. Uh, and there are people that we all, we both know, and I'm sure. Um, how do I put this? There are people that are wanting to join the military because they think it's a license to kill. Those yeah. people scare me. Those people scare me a little bit. Um, that's the ones going to fit into at least the Marine Corps way, the, the team mentality, the brotherhood, they're out for something completely different. Uh, and we know, uh, we all know there are people that we're in and that when we were in and, and, and all that, that, that scares me. Um, but yeah, there are those people out there. Um, if you were going to give that 17 year old Kyle, the seventeen-year-old Kyle, or whatever, when you you got in when you were eighteen, I guess, right out of high school, is that when you went in? Correct. All right, so you're looking back and writing a letter to you. Uh, are you a Brad Paisley fan? Are you country country music fan? No. All right. So <laughs> Brad Paisley had a song called "Letter to Me," and he's looking back as an older guy writing a letter to his younger self. Uh, it was a great song, but uh, if you were able to write a letter to seventeen-year-old Kyle, knowing that the decision's been made about joining the Marine Corps. What's in that letter? Uh, what kind of advice or, or anything? What what could you tell your 17-year-old self to say, hey, the next X amount of years is going to be in this. Uh, by the way, here's some stuff to help you get through that stuff or whatever. What would you say to 17-year-old Kyle at this point in your life? I definitely tell seventeen year old Kyle that he needs to get in shape before he goes to <laughs> camp. <laughs> That's fair. Um, you know, the gas chamber is um, not near as bad as people make it out to be. You know, <laughs> definitely not. You're gonna overcome your fear of heights. Yeah, you will definitely. I, I was. Uh, I, I got a story for that one. Go ahead. Uh, gosh, I guess. I don't know if I'd want to be like spoiling it for myself. So I'd just say, hold on for the ride, brother. It's going to be yeah. pretty wild. There's a lot of people in pain. A lot of our brothers out there that are in pain. Um, and, and, I, and I appreciate your stories tonight and, and letting people know that you've overcome adversity. You overcame that darkness and found the light again in your life. Uh, there's a lot of people that that can help. I promise you there's going to be a lot of people that can help. Um, have any regrets would you change anything now looking back you, you went through hell there for a while would you change anything or are you a believer that everything that happened before got you to where you are now or where's where's your philosophy in that that's where i stand with it honestly and it's just everything happens for a reason um if i could change anything it would probably be to put the bottle down sooner than what i did um yeah. You know, but other than that, um, yeah. I I I drink once or twice a year, and it's typically at the Marine Party in Vegas that you went. Um, I kind of feel bad 
bring you to that party now because I probably put you in a position that uh, you might not have been too comfortable in. I did not realize that at the time, uh, your background and all that. So I personally apologize if I put you in a position to be uncomfortable or not. Um, no need on that, Ghost. Uh, and you said I, I fought. I st I'm still fighting every day, brother. I, I am. And, and that, that'll, that'll never fight. That'll, that'll, that fight will never stop. It's yeah. a day-to-day -day thing. And, but but to be honest with you, things like that don't bother me, man. Um, yeah. I I'm a, I'm able to have a drink every now and again myself. Uh, yeah. I just don't I don't I don't have the want to be get wasted and stuff like yeah. that anymore. Absolutely. Um, that's that's awesome. Um, Anderson Manufacturing. Obviously, I'm a big fan, um, and a lot of people are out there, but. Excuse me. I am going to give you a few minutes if you'd like to talk a little bit about Anderson. Um, maybe for some people that are out there that are uh, veterans or getting ready to separate that are maybe from Kentucky or have that desire to maybe work in the firearms industry. Obviously, Anderson is a very veteran-friendly company, uh, which are a lot of the, the a lot of the gun companies and the in the people in, in the gun industry. Um, the veteran side is a very huge part of our industry and community. Um, but I want to give you a few minutes to actually kind of talk about Anderson if you want um, and maybe do some recruiting for the, the next generation of Anderson employees. Yeah, for sure, Ghost. Uh, I'll tell you, when they took me on, I was still in school. I didn't have my degree yet. Um, they took me in. They worked with me on, on schedules. They even put me on night shift so I can go to school during the day, work at night. And sleep Sleep, sleep's optional. You know? Let's sleep, yeah. Uh, yeah. We don't need sleep. No. Nah. Um, but they started me off in the gun cage, putting together rifles, you know, 300, 400 rifles a day. Um, and then they, they shifted me to machining so that I could work on, do machining. So that the, that schedule jived a little better with, uh, yeah. with my school schedule. And then uh, once I got my degree, they uh, – they, they just promoted me to a, a content creator is what they call me, but yeah. I'm, a, I'm a man of many hats. I'm, you know, I'm still down in the gun cage building rifles. Uh, I do content for Anderson, though. I do. Like, you're basically the face of their media at this point. Yeah. 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 That's a big responsibility. Uh, oh, it really is, and, and one that I'm definitely honored to be in. Uh, but what I'm trying to get at is um, the Andersons care. They, they, they actually genuinely – care about hiring veterans and then not only that they're going to come check on you at least once a week but usually like every other day they're going to come down like hey trey how you doing today how's the family yeah. you know blah 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 um so it's really an environment where veterans can 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 uh succeed be successful it, it's got those those vibes it's got the positive vibes um and you're working with other vets so yeah. if you want to you want to call a boy a dickhead or you know whatever it is fine. what it is yeah, yeah. It, you know so um but no they've let me go on like uh some veteran uh organizations reached out to me and asked me like go on a trip with them and mentor uh some other veterans and they've they've gave me the opportunity to do that but not only that they, they paid me to do it oh wow so, that's yeah. awesome um all in all if if you're coming out of the Marine Corps and you're coming up my way in Kentucky, uh, definitely give us at least a thought um, as a place to work or just to get your 
get your feet wet outside of the Marine Corps and just kind of see how things work because it's a great place. And like I said, you can use it as your training wheels. If you don't like it, um, it's not for everybody, but it'll be a definitely a good start and you'll have a strong support system right there built in. That's awesome. Um, last topic you had brought up when you were going through some of your darkness uh, and you were in that hole, you had a couple organizations that really did help you um, climb out of that hole and, and find the light in the darkness. Um, if you want to, I, I want to give you a few minutes to talk about some of the organizations that you've worked with that people may not understand that are out there that might be able to help them or, or loved ones. Um, Cause the biggest problem that I think we have with our, with our guys is, um, this is the biggest problem in, in, in where I think it is. A lot of our guys don't realize that they're in the darkness. They don't understand that their personalities have changed. They don't understand that they're a different person um, because in their minds, everything's just, it is what it is. Um, where the people can see it is the family, the loved ones. They notice a personality change. They notice you're not the same person that when you, you know, when you left, when you came home, you're a different person. Um, so if you're out there and you have a loved one that's uh, that's um, in or just gotten out, be on the lookout and understand that they may not understand that they're having problems, and you might have to be that first contact to say, "Hey, everything okay." Um, but when you do make that decision or you do come to realization that something is happening, um, there are options. There are people that can help you. There are things that you can do to make your life better. Uh, and Kyle, I want to give you a few minutes. I know that you, you spoke highly of a couple organizations and all that, and you might know some more to help out people that might be in that darkness. Uh, I want to give you a few minutes to talk about some of the organizations that you would like to at least maybe plug or whatever. Yeah, I'll, I'll start off with the one that I always say, literally saved my life. Um, and that's Semper Fi Fund. Um, can't say enough about those guys. I've seen them do everything from like, if you had a bad back from your experience in the Marine Corps, they'll buy you a mattress. Like yeah. this place is is there for you. But not only that, they, they're into like getting you active. Uh, so they have what's called the Semper Fi team and they'll get you into like local events um whether it be like races or if you're into basketball they they'll do like a basketball tournament nice. uh, but, but they'll get you active get you out of the house uh and definitely hook you up with anything that can make your life a, a little better um and not only that they're going to point you in the right direction and they're going to advocate for you and get you the, the proper help that you need um mm. to steer you in the right direction uh can't say enough about them they've done a lot for me um Veterans Club Inc. That's another great one. Um, again, they have a tiny home community where they'll actually house you if you need housing really? or anything That's like that. Wow. Yeah. Um, but they're all about housing and employment. So um, they have a little program down there. They do like um, equine uh, therapy sessions. Nice. Uh, not to get too far in depth with that, but that's changed a lot of people's lives. Uh, outside of those two i'd say irreverent warriors is a good one to look into if you're maybe not necessarily in a very dark place or you don't think you are it's a community that you can join you can look them up on facebook um, they do the silkies hikes and stuff like that nationwide nice. so 
Yeah. Um, coming to a city near you, you'll see that. I, I go to those things every year, especially. You really? come, yeah, especially when they come to Cincy. Uh, it's just good to get back around in that yeah. environment, man. Um, everybody's wearing silkies. You got it's like you guys are getting ready for a PT run, but it's just a, a slow walk through the city. <laughs> the silkies, wow. The short shorts people would call them today, I guess, you know. Uh, wow. Yeah, we, they confuse us a lot with the uh, gay pride parades. <laughs> I would imagine so. Um, when I first got in, at least for swim qual and other things, you guys didn't have them, I'm sure, but I'm sure you saw pictures and heard stories uh, of the, the, the khaki uh, canvas, like denim shorts that we had back in the day. Uh, we had the silkies for PT, but for like swim quals and different things, we still had to throw on the khakis and <laughs> talking about getting uh, mistaken for a gay day. Uh, <laughs> do it for sure. Uh, for sure. Uh, Kyle, man, it's it's been a blast. Uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for opening up. I'm sure this wasn't the most uh, pleasant conversation you've ever had. Um but I appreciate you opening up because there are a lot of guys out there that will probably get a lot from this. But, uh, yeah, man, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you very much. Hey, Trey, thanks for having me. And it wasn't dark for me. We got, we got to share this with each other. That's one thing yeah. that as veterans, we got to start doing more is talking to one another and at least keep the tabs on each other, man. One of the best things that I've heard in my life, uh, was last year, maybe two years ago. I can't remember. I saw a podcast, with DJ Shipley as a teen guy and DJ was being very poignant in, a, in an interview. And he said, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay. Um, actually understanding that you're not okay is actually probably a good thing. And cause you can take the next steps. Um, but it's okay to not be okay sometimes. And, uh, we all got, we all have days. We all have moments. We all have all of that in our lives. Uh, but knowing that you're not alone, uh, and I say this all the time, you know, and I say this every Arm Citizen podcast. If you've never listened to one of my other podcasts, I open up the show with this. Like, if you're in that hole and you're in that darkness, you know, call me, text me, email me 24 7. Like, I'm not going to be able to give you medical advice, but I could be a damn good ear to listen, maybe talking through some stuff. Worst case scenario, just have a conversation. Um, but if you are looking for that place that you can help you, I'm not saying it's the best place. I'm not saying it's the only place, but there is a place that you can get a hold of 24 seven. And it's the veteran crisis hotline. Um, remember two things. Like I said, you're not alone. You have a lot of brothers out here that are willing and able to help you. And the, the second thing is the world is a much better place with you in it. The veteran crisis hotline, 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. Utilize it. Um, contact me. I'm sure Kyle would be more than happy to talk to someone. It's what it is. It's what we do. And and, and um, don't ever be ashamed for for being in the darkness. Never, never be upset or ashamed for admitting that something ain't right. And uh, because that's the first, like you said, the first step to success is admitting there's a problem. 
and we can get you through that. There's a lot of people that get you out there and get you through it. Kyle, once again, thanks, brother, so much for coming on. I had a blast. Uh, I can't wait to see you again. I hope it's not at SHOT Show. Hopefully, we get to see each other before that. Who knows what kind of industry events and all of that. You know, someday I'm going to get up to Kentucky and, and maybe take a uh, a tour of the plant out there. I think that would be a blast. Um, it's not too far from here, actually. It's probably maybe less than six hours from where I live to get up there. So uh, that might be something we talk about later on. But yeah, was, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, any parting words or any things of wisdom or just a quick antidote or anything, this is the time to do it. <sighs> just fight your ass off out there, guys, for real. I love that. I love that. Kyle, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, thank you so much for, for listening to this podcast, for watching it on YouTube. Go check out Anderson Manufacturing. They're a great company. Uh, and go check out all of our sponsors. A big shout out to our title sponsor, Hyperion Munitions. Go check out Veteran Ammo. Go check out Garrisar. Go check out Ariskany Arms. Great, great companies. All of them are under the umbrella over at Hyperion Munitions. Go check out HyperionMunitions.com. Thank you so much for watching and listening. We'll see you soon. Real quick, this is my PSA of the night. No crayons were injured during the recording of this podcast. We'll see you soon. Simplify. Well, thank you guys so much for watching and listening to this podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. To check out all of the episodes of the Jarhead podcast, plus all of our other podcasts that we're involved in, and all of our social media platforms, go check out our website, ghosttactical.us. Once again, thank you so much for watching. We appreciate your time and always your support. We'll see you soon. Simplify.